In that same laboratory many months earlier, I conceived and tested the first three-electrode vacuum tube. This grid tube, which is, we had recently christened the Audion, would amplify telephone currents. I remember as if it were yesterday, that summer afternoon in 1907, when music was first sent out by radio phone. In 1907, when the idea of radio broadcasting first occurred, and again in 1910, when the voices of Metropolitan Opera singers Caruso and Martin were for the first time launched upon the ether, and again in 16, when for the first time regular radio concerts were maintained from my old station at High Bridge in the Bronx, there continued to dawn a widening vision of the astonishing potentialities of the radio broadcast, which vision the last 19 years have been bringing more and more into reality. But I confess that in those pioneer days, my eager imagination fell far short of picturing the astonishing hold with which this idea so suddenly gripped our entire nation. The voice you're about to hear is William Frugs. Next in radio, I was doing uh, Hallmark Hall of Fame, which was a wonderful experience because the sponsor, J.C. Hall, just said, give me a quality show, Bill, whatever you want to do. And twice a year, Bert Oliver and I of the uh, advertising agency would take the super chief to Kansas City and we'd lay out programs we wanted to do. I changed the format of the show to put in current people instead of digging up people from the past. We stopped doing George Washington and Alexander Hamilton at last. And we did stories about Joe DiMaggio and Miller Huggins with Joe DiMaggio narrating. And we did Breaking the Sound Barrier with Chuck Yeager narrating the show. An incident from the life of George Gershwin with Ira Gershwin telling the story, and a story from the life of Damon Runyon with Gene Fowler. And so the ratings shot up. It became the second or third highest rated show in, in radio. Frug spent the early 1950s in charge of the Hallmark Hall of Fame. The show began in the 1940s as Radio Reader's Digest. But again, the investment was very little. I think it cost Jay-Z Hall probably 1200 a week for a sponsored network coast-to-coast -coast show with Lionel Barrymore as a host. The February 7, 1954 episode was a profile on Lee DeForest, one of radio broadcasting's pioneers. Remember, a Hallmark card when you care enough to send the very best. Tonight, from Hollywood, the makers of Hallmark Cards bring you an unusual true story on the Hallmark Hall of Fame. And here is our distinguished host, Mr. Lionel Barrymore. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Hallmark Hall of Fame, where we offer you true stories about real people. As the sound of my voice reaches you tonight, so do the efforts and heartbreak of a very brave man, Dr. Lee DeForest, the father of radio. His inventive genius in the field of electronics open for all the world and all the ages, the 
the invisible empire of the air we call radio. Here is a remarkable story of one man's victory over complete despair. We'll hear this in just a moment. And we'll meet some very special guests later in the broadcast. Now, here's Frank God. Valentine's Day next week is the day when you express your feelings and your good taste through Valentine. You can do both if you choose Hallmark Valentine. You'll find the loving messages you want in the simple, unaffected words you would use. And humorous Valentine's, but designed with the good taste you demand. And the hallmark on the back will tell your friends that on Valentine's Day, too, you care enough to send the very best. Lionel Barrymore appears by arrangement with Metro-Golden-Mayer, who celebrates their 30th anniversary at your favorite theater with The Long, Long Trailer, starring Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. And now Mr. Barrymore brings you tonight's story on the Hallmark Hall of Fame. Last reunion, New Haven, Connecticut, June 1906. Like all reunions, the day has been filled with hilarity, pledges of eternal friendship, banquets, and speeches. Gentlemen, gentlemen. Gentlemen, as I recall, this was and still is the hungriest class ever graduated from Yale University. <laughs> Officially, and on behalf of the faculty and trustees, it is my distinct pleasure to extend to all of you a cordial welcome back. <laughs> Ten years ago at this time, most of you were quivering in anticipation of your final examination. And, and I would guess, I would guess, rather, I am certain that in the ten years you have been away from here, all of you have discovered that life has a way of holding final examinations more frequently than they ever occurred on this campus. On this unserious event of your tenth reunion, I mention this serious aspect of living by way of introducing one of your fellow classmates. Not only do you and I know him, but the world knows him now. His fame is well earned. For he and he alone is responsible for the fact that American wireless telegraphy leads the world. Gentlemen, I give you your comrade and classmate, Lee DeForest. Thank you, sir. I, uh, I, I didn't prepare a speech for tonight. That's all right, Lee. You just tell us how we can become inventors. Yeah. <laughs> tell us how to do it. Well, I'd say you need three things. First, an idea. And secondly, a landlord who isn't too good at accounting. <laughs> and thirdly, and this is the hardest, find a stomach that can go without food. <laughs> and that's about all I have to say. Well... That isn't all we have to say, Lee. I think I speak for every man here at this decennial when I say we're very proud of you, Lee. Thank you, sir. Gentlemen, Lee DeForest. Huh? What are the shows that you've produced and directed? 
Hallmark Hall of Fame for two years, Romance for about a year and a half, something called Sunday Playhouse, which was a replacement for Hallmark after J.C. Hall pulled out, I finished that up about six months. I can't think of that. Oh, I, I did an escape. I did just an assortment of, a, I don't know, a couple, I wrote a couple hundred scripts and produced and directed about a hundred shows. I think radio began its decline at the end of World War II with the development of television, probably late 40s, early 50s. Almost 1950 exactly when I would date it from. TV was taking over. What happened was just economics because the management of, of whom I was a part just said, your budget is cut, your budget is cut. Amos and Andy were brought back as disc jockeys. It was just economics. And gradually shows were just left out of the schedule. I think the final thing I realized, I got an offer to go into television. And I didn't want to go into television, but I knew my job was vanishing. But I really knew it was vanishing. After I left and took a job at Screen Gems as a writer-producer, they never replaced me. I was the last vice president of CBS Radio. <laughs> Unfortunately, by March of 1955, fewer and fewer network shows were sponsored. Hallmark canceled the show.